Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. I'm going to read the whole of the chapter 21 of the wonderful book of John. So make yourselves comfortable. Jesus and the Miraculous Catch of Fish. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there, with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus reinstates Peter. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. 
Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the disciples that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. That's the end of John 21. Thank you so much, Helen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us through your word. And we pray that as we now come to it and consider it for ourselves, we would find you speaking directly into our lives, shaping us after your image and your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I've spent uh, most of the week in Kigali, in Rwanda, at the GAFCON conference with over 1,300 Anglican leaders from over 50 countries across the globe. And it was a time of immense encouragement for me in so many ways. But the stories that stood out from this time were mostly the little ones. I went to a seminar for theological educators. That's what I was there for particularly. And the Reverend Berthier uh, stood up. He's the principal of St. Patrick's Theological College in Madagascar. And he took the microphone. Now, uh, Madagascar, if you know anything about it, is not known for Christians, let alone Anglicans. It's a mainly uh, Muslim area. This college had only recently been formed. And uh, Reverend Berthier stood up and he said, um, Our students often get sick 
We have a lot of sickness in Madagascar. I have to be honest, this was a little bit of a sort of downer, and I was wondering how this was going to sort of improve from, from, from that starting point. Okay, carry on, Reverend Berthier. Uh, he stuck with his theme. Yeah, our students often get sick, and, uh, and then COVID came along, and even more people got sick. And the problem is when COVID came along, uh, people also lost their livelihoods. So there was drought, uh, there was huge hunger, people were dying. It was a very difficult time. But the theological college was able to uh, get aid and start distributing it to the people around, many of whom uh, were basically, their lives were basically saved by that. And shortly after this, many people heard uh, about the college and they started becoming Christians. They heard about Jesus. And in one week, Reverend Berthier said, he said, he said I had to baptize 2,000 people. I mean, just do the maths on that, right? Give yourself eight hours of sleep. But 2,000 people. He stood up in front of all these theological educators, you know, all these reverends said, I was very tired. (laughs) Our hearts went out to him, as you can imagine. The Lord is doing extraordinary things around the globe. Not necessarily right on our front door, but he is calling people to himself in powerful ways that you and I cannot really scarcely imagine. But that reality often follows times of great struggle and barrenness. In fact, it's not unusual as we read the history of the church down the ages. That is actually what Jesus was teaching his very first followers that day by the beach at Lake Galilee. And I'd like to take just a few moments this morning to consider how in this brief encounter that we've just had so wonderfully read, the risen Jesus helps us see how he himself energizes and powers the church, and how he might shape uh, our hopes for our own church and the part that we have to play in it. First up, Jesus fills the net. We have our our first slide up. Jesus fills the net. Let's just set the scene briefly, just to remind you, it's very early days after Jesus rose. Jesus had been publicly executed on the cross. After three days, his followers had found the tomb empty, And now he'd begun to appear to his disciples, and they'd come to believe that he indeed was alive. But they still didn't really know what that meant for them. What next? And on this occasion, the Bible tells us seven of them were together. Perhaps they were wondering what to do with themselves. And, you know, the conversation is going left and right. And Peter eventually says, oh, do you know what? I'm just going to go fishing. Uh, And they say, okay, well, we'll go with you. Fishing had been their livelihood. You know, perhaps they're just like, oh, I guess we might as well go back to doing the thing we did before Jesus. And so out they go. It's night time. All night, they don't catch a thing. Uh, so much for going back to the old trade. And then they hear this shout from the bank. They don't know who's speaking. Have you, have you caught anything yet? No. Thanks for reminding us. And then if, if they're a bit irritated by that, the next bit must have been just totally madding. I tell you what, why don't you just, just throw the net over the other side? Imagine. These experienced fishermen, they've been flogging this lake all night. Like, sure, yeah, we're just going to put it over the other side. And I bet that's really going to work. So I don't know whether it was through gritted teeth or desperation. No, fine, okay, okay. And suddenly, it says, verse 6, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Extraordinary, a massive, massive catch. Nothing on this side of the boat. Schools of fish. On the other, 
Jesus fills the net. Now, this is a miracle, and through it, the disciples realize who it is that's speaking to them. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and he jumped into the water. Classic Peter enthusiasm. Everyone else is holding onto this net that's about to break. He's like, see you guys, I'm going to go see Jesus over here. And a miracle it was. All night long, the uh, mango tilapia, for that is the type of species of fish that are in Lake Galilee. Mango tilapia, they've been sitting at the bottom of the lake, looking up at their hunters, saying, I'm not going in your net. And, uh, and then suddenly they hear the call of their master. The one who created them says, it's time to get out. And all of them, no questions, pile in to the fishermen's nets. But it's more than a miracle. It's actually, it's a metaphor. It's a sign. Jesus had called his disciples to be fishers of men. He called them, he called us to cast the net of the kingdom, to go out preaching the good news about Jesus, calling people to faith. And his goal, Jesus' goal, was that that net would be filled with people who come to know and follow Jesus. And it's a privilege in this church to have lots of people who have that same heart. We've got an amazing team running our our courses, Alpha, Christianity Explored, Hope Explored, and follow-up courses. Uh, We've got people making the most of workplace opportunities, talking and sharing uh, their faith with their colleagues. We've got people serving in the Renew Cafe on Fridays, just taking the time to listen to others and, where appropriate, sharing their faith. We've had a group doing the CPAS Evangelism Hub Training encouraging us how we can give testimony about the Lord Jesus personally. And by the way, there's a, there's a survey in your inboxes, if you haven't noticed it. Please respond to that. It's going to help us think about how we can equip you to share your faith. And there is an army of people, we've just seen them, wanting to share their faith with our young people, um, uh, spending all the weekend uh, doing that and getting wet in the, in, the, in the sea and so forth. Wonderful. We've got people engaged in prisons ministry. We've got people in parachurch ministries, reaching hundreds of thousands of kids. And that's not to mention the many, many more of you I know who year in, year out, decade in, decade out, are praying for your, your wives, your husbands, uh, your friends, your family members, your kids, that they would come to know Christ. What we do as the people of God is that, fishing for people. It's one of the great things that we can encourage one another to be fishers. But the point of this miracle is not so much that job. Jesus wanted to say to them, look, ultimately, this job that you have to be fishers of men, it's not ultimately down to you. It wouldn't ultimately be down to the skill, the desire, the clever words, or the programs of the disciples to fill the net. And so likewise, in our church, in our lives, it won't be down ultimately to our desire or our skill or our clever words, or our programs, to fill the net of the kingdom. We need Jesus to fill the net. I'll be saying a bit more again about the PCC's vision. I shared it with you last year, uh, next week. Uh, But one of the parts of it is that we are looking for this to be a place of Christ-centered revival. Revival is when people come to faith. But if that happens, it's not going to be a human work. It's going to be the work of God. Jesus is going to fill the net. And let me say, I've been reminded this week again, that this is really something he does. 
Uh, I, I was looking out uh, across this, this room. There were leaders there representing between 55 and 65 million Anglicans uh, throughout, throughout the world. And of course, that's just a tiny portion of world Christianity. 2,000 years down the line, there was Jesus uh, on, on, the, on the shore in Galilee. 2,000 years down the line, he has filled the net. There are Christians in every corner of the globe. But it's still hard, isn't it? Sometimes we feel like we see the world around us just like the disciples saw that lake by about half past 4 a.m. This great big unyielding sea in which for some time now the gospel net has not caught anything. And so we think, why am I going to bother? Why am I going to bother throwing the net in again? There's no point. But the man on the bank, Jesus, it transpires, knows a lot more about fishing than we do. And if this morning you're weary of the task of, of sharing the good news, perhaps you've prayed and prayed for someone, nothing has changed. Perhaps you need new confidence, you need new courage. Frankly, you just, just can't summon the courage. Jesus says to you, throw out the gospel net again. Perhaps on the other side. And as and when he chooses, he's going to fill that net. And what he fills will be far beyond what you or I can imagine. So I want you to just think about for a moment your, your own life. Where is it the Lord has placed you? Think about your workplace, the people you know there, your, your family, your friends. Where are you going to live out your calling to be a fisher of people? I really encourage you as you come to study this passage in your small groups this, uh, this week, perhaps you can take some time to encourage one another in, in this in this activity, perhaps also to encourage each other to trust the Lord who fills the net. Perhaps you can commit yourselves to praying uh, in your lives, in our church, that Jesus would fill the net. Wouldn't it be great if, like that rammed net, we had on a Sunday morning here the problem that we couldn't fit everyone in? Let's pray for that. Jesus fills the net. Secondly, Jesus restores the fallen. He restores the fallen. We go on in the story. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Now, this is another very poignant moment in the Gospel of John, uh, and there's a very clear visual element to it. And I'm going to ask you a non-rhetorical question. Okay, when was the last time that coals were mentioned in John's Gospel? Yes, Silvina. Simon Peter, absolutely right. If you ever, Simon Peter, uh, do you remember Jesus had been taken into the high courts, uh, into the high priest courtyard, and and Simon Peter followed at a distance. And you know the Gospels don't give you a lot of detail about you know oh the door was brown or whatever. You, just, you don't get any of that. But we get told at that moment, Simon Peter was warming his hands at the fire coals. 
Same words. So this is a really, really powerful moment. You almost feel like the creator of the world is sort of sitting there. You know, he knows how the story went. Peter, on that occasion, uh, Jesus had predicted he would deny him, and he did three times. He was asked by a servant girl, you know, aren't you one of his disciples? Peter said no. And now we have Jesus with Peter in front of Coles again. And how's it going to work out now? Well, it's an extraordinary sight. The same Jesus that Peter had denied has prepared a meal of fish and bread for his friend. That's an extraordinary thing to do, isn't it? I mean, has he missed what's happened? Has he forgotten Peter's denial? No, surely not. The coals kind of carry the story forward in broad daylight. But in between then and now, Jesus has hung on the cross. He's died for his friend, Peter. He's taken on himself the curse of his sin. And the curse of all our sin. And now he's risen, which means all Peter's denial, all his failure, indeed every failure of ours as well, is dealt with. It's behind. And Jesus says to Peter, come and eat with me. Jesus restores this fallen disciple. And this is just the most powerful uh, illustration of how different God is. The God of Jesus Christ is to what we think. You know, I wonder if you can think of any experience where someone's let you down. Perhaps someone's let you down really spectacularly. How did you respond when that happened? It's your husband or your wife or a close friend or a work colleague or a partner. Well, how natural to expect Jesus to treat us in the same way that we would treat others. Perhaps things in our lives were going okay, but then... Something really bad has happened. We've we've let God down. Perhaps we've denied him in our words and actions. We've dismissed his ways. We've we've done something seriously wrong. And we're really burdened with guilt. Perhaps we've ignored him. Perhaps we've, we've made light of him. Perhaps, to be honest, we've been a long, long way away from Jesus for some time. What do you think God thinks of us in that moment? Perhaps we imagine the Almighty, it doesn't really want us back after all that. Perhaps we imagine he's going to freeze us out. Perhaps we imagine he's giving us the cold shoulder. Perhaps we imagine that he feels anger and resentment towards us. That he, you know, he's there with his crossed arms. You know, you better make it up to me. It's so easy to imagine God like that, isn't it? But none of that. He says, come. Come and sit down with me. Come and have breakfast. A meal together is the, the ultimate sign of friendship, isn't it? And I love that detail in, in verse 10. Apparently, Jesus had some fish already on the barbecue. You know, he's kind of lined all this up already. He said, I tell you what, why don't you bring one of your 153, which, by the way, I put in the net. Isn't that, isn't that lovely? You come and bring some of your stuff as well. We'll, we'll have it to bring and share. It's a beautiful picture of fellowship. Come and let's sit together. I wonder if there's someone here this morning who needs to hear this. Do you need to hear the risen Christ saying to you, come, come and have breakfast. Come and sit with me. I long to be with you. If that's you, I would love for you to make the most of the prayer ministry afterwards. Come and pray with someone. Come and speak to me or, or someone just on your pew. Jesus restores the fallen. Jesus restores the fallen. And finally, and most briefly, Jesus commissions the church. Jesus commissions the church. Now, Jesus doesn't just say to Peter, Peter, okay, right, you blew it before, but I tell you what, it's okay now, I forgive you. He gives him a new purpose. He commissions him 
And, you know, we had these two coal fires. The next bit's like a sort of mirror of what happens there as well. Peter is challenged three times again. But this time, these three challenges lead to a new purpose for him. Now, see if you can hear what that commission is. What is this new purpose? I'm just going to read this section from verse 15 again. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And Jesus commissions us in the same way today. I love this this commissioning. Because do you notice, it doesn't start with a job description. He doesn't come to Peter and say, by the way, I've got quite a lot of things for you to do. Here's the kind of, you know, here's the stuff, sign at the bottom, off you go. No, he starts with relationship. Before he says, can you do something for me? He says, do you love me? Do you love me? But then he gives him a new purpose. And that purpose is to feed and care for the flock. That is the Bible's picture, the Bible's metaphor for looking after and leading God's people. Now, there's more to following Christ than this, but this is absolutely critical. We have to grow as a church, and that requires people who love God's people and who want to lead and care and encourage others. And this is a great moment for me to thank, on behalf of all of us, all those wonderful small group leaders, uh, kids and youth leaders, Uh, the encouragers, the pastoral carers, the visitors amongst us who have their hearts set on this taking care of the sheep business. But perhaps it's also a moment of challenge. Moment of challenge. Have you ever heard that phrase? Oh, I like Jesus. I don't really like the church so much. Here's what Jesus says. Do you love me? Love my church. If you love me, love my church. Take care of my sheep. And you know, if your first thought is absolutely not, I cannot do that. Do you see my life? Do you see how, what a mess it is in? Do you see how many problems I've got? Think about Peter. How many problems he had. Think about his recent past. The same Peter who spectacularly denied Jesus days earlier. This is the one Jesus says, you, you're going to take care of my flock. And let me just go out there and say this uh, um, it may be, I may not be right, but this is, my, this is what I think is, is, is true. If you ask me, the thing that's going to determine the future of our church, the degree to which we grow, both numerically and, and in terms of depth in our disciples, discipleship, is how many of us get a vision for loving and caring and leading God's people. That's all we need, an army of people who just long to serve God's church. So what we need, and perhaps this is a, a word for some of you this morning, we need people to move from, I love Jesus, to, I love the church. I want to serve it. Not, I think the church is perfect, because it isn't, <laughs> let's face it, including the leaders. But who want to love and care for and lead the church and lead his people so uh, we've, we've seen Peter right from the beginning. We've seen how Jesus is the one who fills the net. And that's the greatest encouragement for us in our ministry. 
And then uh, we've seen that Jesus restores the fallen. Every single one of us have hope in that moment. And finally, how Jesus commissions his church. And I wonder whether he's calling you into that today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you speak over the centuries and the millennia into our lives. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage and the confidence that comes from knowing that you are the one who, who fills the net of the kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would enable any of us who this morning just feel burdened by guilt and troubled, that you are the gentle one who restores the fallen. And Lord, I pray that you would fire us up, that you would commission us and give us new hope as you commissioned Peter that day. And that all of this would pour out of our love for you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.